morning. What's love got to do with it? Well, let's turn to 1 Corinthians 13 and find out. As I mentioned last Sunday, Paul is describing what love is by describing what love does. And love is not primarily driven by emotion. It's it's driven by truth, too. It's driven by right. If love were stamped on a coin, on the opposite side would be truth or right. That's why Paul can say love does no wrong to its neighbor. Love is ethical. It's not just a feeling. It's not just self-serving. It's others serving. That's why if you love God and your neighbor as yourself, you fulfill the whole law. So I want us to keep that in mind. Love is useful. As much as we think or associate love with sentiment and feeling and emotion... A command to love, a principle in which we live deliberately a life of love. Because God is love. It's it's His very nature. Well, that can't be driven just by emotion or a feeling or a sentiment or an occasion. It's got to be stronger than that. It's got to have some spine. Anyway, I, I hadn't planned to say that. It was all for free. Just a, just a bonus. If you come, you'll get bonuses like that. So. Let's read John, First uh, First Corinthians chapter 13. I don't know where John came from. It just popped into my head. There's a, there's a whole world of things going on inside this placid exterior. <laughs> if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to move mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. And if I have give all my possessions to feed the poor, if I deliver my body to be burned but do not have love, It profits me nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness. But rejoices with the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there's knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. 
But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak as a child, think as a child, reason as a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully just as I have been fully known. But now abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. In the late 80s, early 90s, um, a slogan, practice random acts of kindness and senseless acts of beauty. Remember that? You ever heard of that? It kind of emerged into the American, the national consciousness in the late 80s, early 90s. I first saw it on a bumper sticker. I liked it because it it seemed to counterbalance in just a little way, at least, the nightly reports on the news of random acts of violence. And I took random and senseless, not in a negative way, but in the sense that it's impartial. You know, it doesn't pick and choose. Anybody could be the recipient of an act of kindness or a senseless act of beauty. You know, no respecter of persons. Unconditioned, just generous and for the goodness of it. I like that. I like the fact that it had the, almost the distinct stamp of Jesus Christ on it. It was Christ-like. But what I didn't like is that Jesus didn't get the credit. And you, may, you might, you know, be thinking, does he need to? I mean, does that matter? No, but that's just the way I think. There was a part of me that was just, you know, I want to do that, but not if somebody else is going to get the credit. But that's my point, you see. Kindness doesn't care who gets the credit. In fact, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, which is recorded in Matthew, and in the Sermon on the Plain, which is recorded in Luke, has some things to say that I think are really quite striking. I want you to hear them. Because basically Jesus said in these two great messages, practice random acts of kindness and senseless acts of beauty. Because that's what God does. And that is what God inspires in His own children. That's what, that's what God is nagging his children. Well, he doesn't nag, but you know, I'm trying to get through to you. As a child of God, God wants you and me to practice random acts of kindness, senseless acts of beauty, because that's what he does. Well, let me give it to you in Jesus' exact words. He says, love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return, and you will be sons of the Most High. 
children of the Most High. Well, who's the Most High? That's God, God the Father. You will be children of the Most High. How will you be recognized as children of the Most High? Well, you do what your Father in Heaven does. And here's His reason, the little word for. For, which introduces an explanation, clarification, an incentive, a motivation. For, He Himself, that is, the Most High Himself, is kind to ungrateful and evil people. Now think about that for just a moment. The word, the very notion that Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 13.4, he says, love is kind or love shows kindness. That very word Jesus uses to describe the Most High. And then he even clarifies this kindness. He says this kindness is not conditioned upon the gratitude of other people. He doesn't stop being kind because people don't appreciate his kindness. Wow, that's pretty powerful stuff. That sounds like random acts of kindness and senseless acts of beauty. In Matthew 5, 44 and 45, Jesus says, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be Sons of your Father who is in heaven. For, and here's an explanation, clarification, incentive, motivation. For, He, that is your Father who is in heaven, He makes His Son rise on the evil and on the good. And sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Well, I know it's a hot day. And when it's hot like this, we're trying to get out of the sun. And when it's raining all the time, we're trying to get out of the rain. But these people that Jesus were talking to, they love the sun and they love the rain because that's what feeds them their crops, their livelihoods. It's the direct blessing of God. And God says, oh, I just scatter that indiscriminately. It doesn't matter who it is, whether they're ungrateful, whether they're Evil, it doesn't matter because that's my nature. And Jesus is being, being pretty clear here in both these messages because these people, why do you think they're following him? Because they want to know God. They want to know what he has. They want to get closer. They want the real spiritual deal, not some counterfeit, not some fake. So they're following him around. And so what does he do? I mean, he's not a shyster or a huckster. He's making no money off of them. He levels with them. And he says, if you really want the real deal, not the counterfeit or the fake, this is it. This is what God is like. And if you're going to follow me and be my disciple, and if somebody else is going to call you by my name, because they associate you with me, this is what you've got to be like. Because this is what I'm all about too. What my Father's all about. So, if a bumper sticker reminds you and me to practice random acts of kindness, the messenger doesn't matter. 
Does it? Who gets the credit? Doesn't matter. Kindness does not depend on labels or brands. God loves and He shows His love in kindness. But it's true, I think, that is a stumbling block for us. Who gets the credit? Now, I've been really transparent and honest with you about a deep and very dark secret. I hate making the bet. (laughs) Haven't I been honest? Haven't you heard me say this? I hate making the bet. But I do it to tell Shelley I love her. Now, I'm a romantic. Um, I used to bring Shelley flowers every week, write her cards. I like candlelight, music, all of that stuff. I like those kind of things that become the subject matter of movies, chick flicks. (laughs) But Shelley, I buy her tools (laughs) for presents. And her love language are acts of kindness. So I make the bed to tell her I love her. Cards don't mean as much, but making the bed does. And I can define kindness in these terms. Kindness is a concrete expression of love to help or encourage another. In fact, the word kindness is Christos. And I'll have something more to say about that in a moment. But Christos, which is the adjective, has the very useful sense of useful. That's what Christos means. It's useful. Kindness at heart is something useful. And that's why I say it assists or it cheers up. It helps or it encourages. That's what people need. And I help Shelley by making out the bed, making the bed in order to tell her I love her. It shows kindness to her. Making the bed starts with love in my heart and concretely expresses it in a specific act of kindness designed to help her and encourage her. One morning, I was shaving, getting ready for work, and in the mirror I could see that the bed was not made. And this began a struggle for me. The bed is unmade. I should make the bed. I should let Shelley know that I love her. And as I was wrestling with it, you know, internally, I was also thinking, but I really need to get to work as quickly as possible. And if I don't make the bed, Shelley will not conclude that I don't love her. But love one out. Love one out. And so I decided to make the bed. And so as I was kind of finishing getting ready, I was going to make the bed. And I started to get kind of energized about this because I hate making the bed. 
But about that time, Shelly came into the room. She was all dressed and ready to leave. And she said, honey, I'm going now. And she gave me a kiss. She says, I hope you have a good day. I'll see you tonight. And by the way, would you mind making the bed? Yeah. Some of you immediately know what just happened. It ruined everything. My act of love is in no way demonstrated now. It's not a random act of kindness. It's not a senseless act of beauty anymore. It's a dutiful act of obedience. (laughs) But that's what love does. And kindness isn't changed by the fact that it obeys. And I want us to understand that. God's love is just that powerful. Love waits patiently, we saw last week, and I defined it last Sunday. It's an element of patience that's very clear in the Greek language and the use even within the New Testament and the Bible. That love withholds a, a part, love as patience, it withholds anger in order to benefit that person. It, 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 it gets past the irritations and frustrations of others, the insults, whatever, whatever that would arouse us to put ourselves first. And anger serves that so well, it withholds that in order to meet the needs of that person. And that's why I said uh, love that looks beyond a person's faults in order to meet their needs, yeah, that's patience. God bless you. Now, notice the way kindness kicks in to express love. We're thinking about patience, withholding anger for the benefit of the, of the person. Notice the way kindness kicks in. And I want to show this to you from Psalm 103, verse 8. And this whole, in the context, if you read on from Verse 8, 9, 10, 11. It it anchors it in God's love. But just this part. Just listen to this. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. Well, compassion and grace is love. But notice this. Slow. The Lord is slow to anger. What is that? Patience. And abounding in loving kindness. Well, it's basically the opening definition in 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Now, look at this in the New Testament in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30 to 32. Listen to what Paul says. Paul's writing to the church or churches in the vicinity of Ephesus, and he writes, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit but the presence of God? Okay? And what is God all about? Well, he's slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, he's compassionate, <laughs> he's gracious. So if the Spirit is present and at work in our lives, God's going to want to influence us in those ways, right? Makes sense, doesn't it? And and Paul says, do not grieve. Well, what does grieve mean? Well, don't insult God. You know? Don't ignore Him. That would be grieving. What if I was at your house and you acted like I wasn't there? That would grieve me. Don't insult God. Don't ignore Him. 
And Paul says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And then he goes right on. Listen to this. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Wow, that, that just about covers it, doesn't it? Let it be put away from you. What does that look like? Patience. You know? Get rid of the malice, the anger, the bitterness, everything you could possibly think of that expresses your annoyance with other people. Sometimes you think, well, you know, I, I wouldn't really call it anger. I'm cutting myself over this person, but I'm not angry. Well, how about bitterness? Are you bitter? What is it? Paul says, put it all away. Well, that's patience. And then what are the next words that he utters? Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. You see, kindness is the antithesis of anger. It's the antithesis of disgust. It's the antithesis. You know what an antithesis is, don't you? It's the opposite. I'm sorry, plain language. Kindness is the opposite of anger. It's the opposite of disgust. It's the opposite of irritation. It's the opposite of self-interest and self-priority. How is it that we can withhold anger? Because something more important captures our attention. And that something more important is the other person. And what would ever make that other person more important? God's love. Why? Because God's love is not just a feeling. It's a truth. It's a truth. It's a truth that has captured our hearts because we are the recipients of that same love. Just as Paul comes down to the end of Ephesians chapter 4 and he says... Do this because you yourselves have been loved this way by God. Kindness naturally then goes hand in glove with patience when patience is needed. But sometimes it's not. Kindness itself is described by some ancient they probably wouldn't want to be called ancient even though they've long been in the grave but you know how vain we are but Origen, for example, calls kindness sweetness to all persons. That's beautiful, isn't it? Sweetness to all persons. Chrysostom talks about kindness as dissolving anger and resentment, not only by enduring nobly, but also by soothing and comforting, curing and healing. Tertullian reports that the kindness of Christians so surprised their pagan neighbors that they called Christians Christiani instead of Christiani. Christus. Kindness. Because these Christians demonstrated that mildness and kindness in their treatment of others. That they called them the kind ones, the kind people, the Christiani. In fact, many thought that's what this whole thing was about. I thought that was pretty cool. 
You know, kindness can be fun. Random acts of kindness. Like smiling at people. Shelley says, I have a stern look. You don't think so, do you? I got a smile. I really have to work at it. Um, but as I've told you, there's just there's a carnival going on inside, but sometimes it doesn't always come across. There really is. It's, it's just a three-ring circus all the time. There's a lot of joy inside, but I have a stern look. And, and Shelley reminds me. I say, oh, no, you're kidding. No, you can be intimidating. Really? You wouldn't think it if you could see me inside. <laughs> but sometimes, sometimes we have to work. You see, that's what kindness does. It serves others. And sometimes smiling, it isn't like, well, tough. You know, if they don't like the way I look, then just quit looking at me. But that's not the way kindness works. Kindness serves others. It wants to be useful to others. So I'm working on smiling because I want people to know that I like them. And listen, I even put it on my notes here. I don't know if you can see this. But see, people don't need me. That's what some of you are saying to yourselves. People don't need me. And you see what I did? I drew a circle with a slash through it. That's not true. They do need you. Your smile does encourage them. Your smile is useful. I know that seems small. Wow, John, kindness is easy if all it means smiling. No, but it's an attitude. It's a disposition. It's an outlook. You need to realize people can be benefited by you in your life. And it can begin with a smile. How about waving to children on a bus? Or is that beneath you? Think about it for a moment. We live in this scary world. What kind of a message would you be sending if you waved, you, an adult, a noble person? What if you were to smile at kids on a bus? It might tell them this world isn't so mean and scary. That would be a good thing. That's useful. It might encourage and cheer them up. But these are fun things. You could open a door for somebody. Boy, if you want to give someone a heart attack, open the door for them. (laughs) But don't expect them to say thank you. It'll just frustrate you. Do this because it's in you. Don't give up because people don't respond in kind or get down. Oh, what a marvelous person you are for opening the door for me. Thank you so much. Just do it because it's in your nature. That's what Jesus says God is like. Don't get pushed out of shape when people don't thank you. Why did you do it in the first place? For thanks? You did it because it was the right thing to do, and that's the way love is. It's not dependent on candles and music to get going. It just does what is right. How about this? You could help someone carry their packages. Husbands, come on, man. I hate to start at home with you, but sometimes I see your wives, they look like a beast of burden, and you're just walking along right beside. Come on, show some kindness. Kindness is useful. Pick up that package. Guys, go out of your way to help some ladies with their burdens, or anybody for that matter. Send flowers to a nursing home. Boy, you, would, you don't even need to know anybody. If you just walk the halls, there's a lot of people you could cheer up just by saying hello. 
put some coins in an unexpired parking meter. Somebody after the last service said, you could buy the Starbucks for the people behind you in line. There are all kinds of fun things you can do. But kindness is always useful to another. And you've got to realize that God wants to do some fantastic things through you. Wouldn't it be cool if to cultivate kindness, all we did, had to do was hear it just once and then we'd never forget it. We'd be kind from then on out. But that's not the way it works, is it? See, if, if, if we were always, if we were in a world always hearing the right stuff, maybe it would work better. But we're in a world that's always feeding us the wrong stuff. I mean, I get one little shot, you know, hurry it up, Pastor, you've been talking for 35 minutes. But yet we just, you know, we turn on the TV and we have people depict all kinds of junk. Selfishness, promoting self. You're more important than anything else. Don't take anything off of anybody. This is the world we live and swim in. And so how are you going to carry this with you? How are you going to cultivate kindness? Think, man, that was a great message. I really liked that. I enjoyed that very much. It was uplifting. It made me laugh. Made brought a little tear to my eye at one point. That was a very good message. But what does it mean the rest of the week if we're just going to feed on all this other junk? So to cultivate this, what we got to do is we got to take steps to think about it. And this is not just a technique. Paul himself says in Romans chapter 8, verse 5, and I'm going to read it to you because it's worth reading. He says, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the nature, what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit, the Spirit of God, have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Now, Honestly, selfish, self-centered, self-absorbed, me-first kind of thinking is really natural. But natural, we're not, we're not talking about vegetables here. You know, natural vegetables, organically grown vegetables, that's nutritious, that's good for you. It's natural. But this natural, this is instinctive. To put me first. And what God is trying to do in our life is not natural. It's not instinctive. That's why He sent His Son. That's why He poured out His Spirit. He's trying to invade your life. He's alien to our natural state. And there is a war going on inside. That's what Paul says in more than one place. I'm not going to bore you with the details, but he says it again and again and again. There's a battle between the natural and the supernatural. And he says it right there. If you set your mind on the natural, you know, it bothered me this morning. I, got, I had this message already, and I was, I was excited about it. And then it hit me. I thought, wow, nobody's going to want to hear this if they love the world. That's what John says, by the way. I mean, I thought, wow, John talks about this very thing. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15, 16, 17. He says, if you love the world, love of the Father is not going to find a foothold or a place or a residence. He's not going to feel at home. Paul talks about it differently. Paul says, 
That's grieving God. And you know what? I understand that. If, you're, if you really think the world is going to satisfy you, fill your dreams, provide everything you need, if you buy that stuff, you, you wouldn't like it if it was a bill of goods, if it was a huckster, a shyster, a charlatan. But for some reason, I guess because everybody's doing it, it gives it a, an element of authenticity. But you'll not be satisfied. You'll be disappointed. And God says, trust me. Love me. Do it my way. I'll satisfy your deepest needs. And to do that, to cultivate kindness by giving God His place, we've got to think about Him. Some of you remember Norman Vincent Peale, the late Norman Vincent Peale. He wrote a book, The Power of Positive Thinking. And there's a story in there about a man who came to Norman Vincent Peale asking him for help in his personal relationships. And so um, Peale wondered initially, you know, at first glance, he said, what does this guy need my help? He's, you know, he's sharp looking. He presents himself well. He's self-assured. I mean, this guy's got it all. But as he got to know him and got acquainted with him, he realized that this man had a noticeable air of superiority. He was rigid, self-centered, and egotistical. I'm quoting Peel now. This young man was irritable with people. He picked on them in his own mind. Since he was being unpleasant to people in his thoughts, it followed that he was less than warm in his personal attitudes. You know, what goes on up here affects the way we feel and it affects our behavior. And if we're living in a world that's cutthroat and is teaching us, influencing us to resent people, to think everybody's out to get us, then if that's the way we think about people, we're going to find it impossible to be kind. After a short acquaintance, though, I mean, after a short period of time, Peel assessed the man was suffering from self-love, that he was trying to make everybody over to suit himself. And one of the changes he suggested was that the man picture each person he had met during the day and think a kindly thought about each one. And the young man worked hard at following Peel's suggestion and eventually reached a startling conclusion. And I quote, this is what he said to Peel, as recorded in his book. I have found that the world is filled with interesting people. And I never realized it before. Thinking affects our disposition and emotions and even our kindness to others. Let God influence your thinking. How do you do that? The monks had a practice called statio. Statio. I'm not great on Latin. I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. But the monks, when they practiced statio, after prayer, they would stop. In other words, statio was the practice of stopping. It's the time between times. It's the stop before you do the next thing you do. And they would use that to focus, 
to get centered in the Lord and to become aware of His presence. You could practice statio, for example, because I do think sometimes we get caught up in this swirling world. If you were to stop and turn, say, turn off the radio just a couple of minutes before you get home, And prepare yourself for going into your home. Leave your work at work. Think about your wife and your kids if you have a wife and kids. Or your roommates if you just have roommates. Or whoever's at home for you. You could do the same thing pulling into the parking lot at work. Whether construction or office. You could do the same thing in school. You can do that periodically. Stop. Kind of turn down the volume. Pick up. The presence of God, let him start to influence your thoughts and prepare you to move through your day in a way that expresses his power in your life. And in particular, in light of 1 Corinthians 13, 4, his kindness. This is a, this is a case of statio, the bread and the cup. It's a moment when we stop and we reevaluate. We shut out all that other stuff and we attune ourselves to the presence of God. I think the regular practice of the bread and the cup was very much a part of the early church. That's why we do it the first Sunday of every month. I almost think it could be done daily, especially in this wildly distracting world. But for this time, will you set your mind and your heart on the Lord, on His kindness to you? And will you prepare yourselves for the rest of this day? Anticipate this week. Think about the people that try your patience. Think about the strategy of God's own goodness at work in your hearts to love and show kindness to others. Let's begin with reckoning with and recognizing what God has given us in Christ. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we're just all too human, but we truly do love you. Sometimes we don't show it as much as we desire. Sometimes when we practice statio, When we just stop and sense your presence, much like we do when we come and worship you, our perspective changes and we feel real honest with you and we know deep down we want to be more like Jesus. We want our friends to know it. We want to be dynamic for you. We want to spread your love, your gospel to our dearest friends, to the people we hang with, to our co-workers, schoolmates. We want them all to know you as we know you. As we prepare to take this bread and this cup, it's just so rudimentary, Lord. It's so raw and basic to everything we are to reckon with the cross and what you've done for us. And so in this moment of silence, We ask you to do a work in our hearts. We want to draw near to you. Let you be God. 
and Lord and Deliverer. This has been a production of Grace Community Church of Visalia. For more information, go to our website at www.gccvisalia.org or for more sermons, go to gccvisalia.org slash podcast.